Whatever is in motion must be put in motion by another, wrote St. Thomas Aquinas at the beginning of his Summa Theologiae. If that by which it is put in motion be itself put in motion, then this also must needs be put in motion by another, and that by another again. But this cannot go on to infinity, because then there would be no first mover, and consequently no other mover. Seeing that subsequent movers move only inasmuch as they are put in motion by the first mover, as the staff moves only because it is put in motion by the hand, Therefore, it is necessary to arrive at a first mover, put in motion by no other. And this, everyone understands to be God. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar podcast from Wyoming Catholic College. This proof of the existence of God is the first of five that Thomas Aquinas presents at the beginning of the Summa. And while this proof seems simple and convincing to most of us, Many scholars are certain that the proof is not at all convincing insofar as it relies on medieval physics and cosmology. In his new book, Nature and Nature's God, The Scientific and Philosophical Validity of Aquinas' Proof of an Unmoved Mover, Wyoming Catholic College philosopher Dr. Daniel Shields argues that these scholars should take another look at Thomas's argument. Explain Thomas's argument from motion and tell us why many have rejected the argument uh, that I suspect for most people is rather a commonsensical argument. Aquinas' argument in its simplest form is that every motion requires a mover and that there can't be an infinite regress of movers, so there must be some first mover that's not in motion, um, and this we call God. But in that format, the argument is rather skeletal, and there's, it's unclear, I think, to many exactly how it's supposed to conclude to its conclusion and how um, that conclusion is supposed to be about the God that we know about. Um, so the book tries to explain exactly, uh, you know, so to speak, fill in the gaps in Aquinas' reasoning utilizing the things he says elsewhere uh, in order to make it more obvious how it gets to the conclusion and and what the conclusion is. I guess the first thing to say about that is that Aquinas is not arguing that the series of motions has to have some sort of first beginning in time, as if there was a first moment to the universe and that a motionless being had to set the universe in motion back at the beginning of time. Um, that is a argument that uh, nowadays is championed by William Lane Craig and others. And Aquinas is not at all um, a fan of that argument. He does, in fact, think that the universe has a beginning and that God started it and got it in motion. But he believes that that's an article of faith that can't be proved by reason, nor can it be disproved by reason. Uh, So his argument for an unmoved mover uh, can't rely on that as a premise, nor when he says that there can't be an infinite regress of movers, does he mean that there has to be a very first motion in time. 
A lot of people have uh, kind of taken another alternative in interpreting the argument, which I think is equally problematic. They have said that Aquinas means that motion can't even continue for any moment. It can't even continue right now unless there is a mover pushing the object in motion along. And that you can't have an infinite series of um, movers who are right now causing the motion. So there has to be a, a first mover who's causing it right now. Um, and this understanding is um, in some ways supported by the example Aquinas uses in his argument, namely that the, the, a stone might be moved by a stick, which was moved by a hand, which in turn is moved by you know, the, the, the muscles, which is moved by the nerves, which is moved by the brain, um, ultimately moved by the soul. Right? All of, in that case, all of the movers are moving all at once. Right? And if that's what he meant when he said that motion requires um, an unmoved mover, then it seems like the, you get a conclusion where there'd have to be some um, immaterial, totally motionless being that was right now moving the universe and, and pushing it along. Otherwise, it would just freeze in place or something like that. Now, I think that that also is the wrong way to read this argument. On the one hand, I think that Aquinas would hold that Everything I just said is true, but it's not the argument he has in mind, nor could it work as a convincing argument. Right? The idea that bodies have to be pushed along at every moment by some sort of being in order for them to continue in motion is something that's not plausible unless you already believe in God. It seems like a body moving inertially in space is just floating along, right? All by itself. Why do you need to have any mover? So if the, the premise was that every motion needed a mover continuously pushing it along, that premise would, would not um, be accepted as true by someone who didn't already believe in God. It would just be implausible. So... Those are two common ways to read the argument that are both wrong. <laughs> so, and what is the way to read it correctly? <laughs> yes, that this is uh, what I spend most of the book trying to explain. But Aquinas actually bases the argument on his belief that motion, no motion, can continue indefinitely without a mover sustaining it in motion. He does, he's perfectly happy to think that motion could continue for a certain time with no mover sustaining it. Um, but every such motion will eventually end. Bodies will, um, uh, so to speak, uh, the way he thinks about it, come to their proper place and, and then come to rest there. And then won't move from that place unless something, some external mover moves them out of their place. So he actually... Um, presents the argument in a disjunctive way. This is most obvious in the Summa Contra Gentiles, where he uh, kind of explicitly says this, 
It gives a kind of longer, more fleshed out version of the argument that you find in the, the Summa Theologiae. He says that we don't know whether the universe had a beginning or not, but clearly it either did or didn't. If the universe did have a beginning, clearly it could not have started itself into motion. So there would have to be a being outside the universe, and hence an immaterial being, that was its first mover, that initiated the motion, got the whole thing started. Okay. But on the other hand, if the universe had no beginning, then it's already been in motion for an infinite amount of time. But nothing could remain in motion for an infinite amount of time unless you had a being of infinite power sustaining it in motion. And no material being is a being of infinite power. So God must exist either to have started the universe or to keep it going forever or both. He may have started it and then continue keeping it going forever, right? But on no account could you have a universe with no God moving it. Another way to think about it is you see a basketball that's bouncing on a court up and down, right? Each bounce, it comes a little less high up and eventually it starts to just kind of pitter-patter on the court and then come to rest, right? If you see a ball in motion like that, you know that somebody had to have set it in motion. It can't just move like that forever with no beginning and no end on its own. But on the other hand, you, except for the fact that you know the context of basketballs and basketball players and basketball games, right? But if you set aside that context, theoretically, it could bounce forever as long as there was a player who was dribbling it forever, as long as that player was not the sort of player who grew old or who ran out of energy when he used his muscles and needed to stop and eat. Okay? So given that the universe is in motion, it must have been either set in motion originally or sustained in motion by an immaterial being that does not wear out, does not grow tired. Um, I, that's kind of the main point in the first part of the book. In the second part of the book, I try to utilize the history of science to show that that conclusion is in fact warranted. Aquinas was utilizing medieval science. And of course, a lot has changed um, in the modern era. But modern science, surprisingly, actually justifies and supports the very same argument that Aquinas made. One of the critiques of Thomas's argument is it relies on medieval science. And you argue that, no, actually, it works perfectly well with modern science. How is that the case? Yeah, so certainly I do think that Aquinas's argument depends upon medieval science. But the interesting thing is that the developments of science that have occurred since then have not significantly undercut the argument. Um, although inertia does make a change to the argument in this respect, namely that the way science thinks about things, an asteroid could just keep moving 
forever with nobody sustaining its motion if it's out there in space where there's no friction or air resistance. Um, but motion of the interesting sort, such as orbital motion, planets orbiting around stars, or chemistry, complex chemical reactions going on, those cannot continue forever in a closed system. This is the second law of thermodynamics. You know, we're used to the first law of thermodynamics. This is that energy is always conserved through any physical interaction. But the counterpart to the first law of thermodynamics is the second law. And it says that the amount of energy that is available to do work is decreasing in physical interactions, or in the best cases, staying level, but usually decreasing, and that it can never increase unless energy is added from outside the system. So if you take the universe as one big system, the second law of thermodynamics entails that within a finite amount of time, the universe, if it's a closed system with no God outside of it interacting with it, then in a finite amount of time, the universe is going to reach a condition of maximal entropy, which means although there's the same amount of energy as was present at the beginning um, or at any point in its history, whether finite or infinitely you know, long history, the proportion of that energy that is available to do work has reached zero. So the universe must inevitably reach a condition that's called heat death within a finite amount of time. So if the universe is a closed system and has no beginning, by now the universe would already be in the heat death condition. It would have reached maximal entropy. There would be no life. There would be no complex chemistry. There would be no planets orbiting around stars. There'd just be a bunch of uniform space dust, you know, sailing around in space doing nothing. Um, so if the universe has no beginning, that means that it's not a closed system and that God is outside the universe giving it um, new energy or converting high entropy unavailable energy into low entropy available entropy. Alternatively, the universe is finite and God started it and it just hasn't reached the condition of heat death yet. Now, there's, as I show in the book, these conclusions are basically inevitable given modern science. And so Aquinas' argument works just as well on uh, the basis of modern science as it did on his medieval science. Is this a, an argument that sort of QED, you know, done. We, we've, proved, we've proved that there's a God, period, at the end. Mm -hmm. it, is it that kind of an argument? I think so, but it leaves one with all sorts of questions as to the nature of this God who's been proved. Right? Uh, for example, the argument doesn't show that this unmoved mover, this immaterial unmoved mover, is um, omniscient or omnipotent. Right? Um, if one was going to show that, through a, a, a natural argument rather than appealing to religious belief, one would need a different sort of argument to drive those sorts of conclusions. So I think the argument is conclusive, 
Uh, it's just doesn't deliver everything you'd want to know about God. Right, right. It just says there is a God, mm-hmm. you know, that he's Trinitarian, that he's loving, that he's anything else. We don't know that. It's mm-hmm. just that he's the unmoved mover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it does show, I think, that he's immaterial um, and eternal. And I think that in and of itself, the argument doesn't show that he's personal, but when combined with um, Aquinas's other uh, natural philosophical argument, uh, namely from the purposiveness found in the natural world, I think then one does get the conclusion that God is personal, that there's only one of them, uh, there's not two or three or more gods, and that this, this God is, is good. But that's still not omniscient and omnipotent. It's certainly not Trinitarian. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And what are your hopes for the book? My hopes, first of all, is that it changes people's opinion about what exactly Aquinas is arguing and kind of set the record straight, historically speaking. And I hope, in addition, that um, in so doing, people can realize that Aquinas has many arguments or proofs for God's existence. Some of those arguments are metaphysical arguments But metaphysics is a very difficult discipline. It's very hard to wrap one's mind around the concepts of metaphysics in a convincing way uh, that doesn't make it seem just like a word game. So in addition to these metaphysical arguments, Aquinas also has arguments for God's existence that fall within the the discipline called philosophy of nature um, or natural philosophy. And that's an discipline of nature that's much more accessible. Um, there is a reason why historically Aquinas thought that natural philosophy should be studied before metaphysics. It's, an, it's just a more accessible and easy discipline because it's closer to our sensory experience of the world. It's less abstract. In discovering that Aquinas has these natural philosophical arguments, one Thomists can begin to make a case for God's existence that the empirically minded can kind of find convincing so that St. Thomas's philosophy becomes accessible and convincing to a whole um, swath of, of people, to a whole audience to which it was just up until now, just heady and um, inaccessible and, and, and hence unconvincing. Dr. Daniel Shields has done us a great service by pointing out the evidence and connecting modern science with Catholic philosophy. His book again is Nature and Nature's God, the scientific and philosophical validity of Aquinas' proof of an unmoved mover, published by the Catholic University of America Press. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.